0: Uh, in the last month or so, I, I go through like a Bible reading plan in the mornings, and and the last and it's kind of generic. I mean, it's just kind of daily readings for 365 days, and you just kind of go through the Bible. But in the last 30 days or so, I've actually had this uh, situation where like three of those times have been hitting on one particular topic in my own life that I felt like was real... Helpful, And I thought, we, particularly given the situation that we're in right now, I mean, uh, in the last week or so, there's been huge uh, amounts of news. Worldwide, there's this ISIS thing, you know, in, in Iraq, uh, where, you know, there's uh, Muslims who are attacking not just Christians, but other Muslims and anybody who has any different idealism than they do. They're pretty much attacking and, and wholesale slaughtering people. It's a terrible Terrible situation. You see that in the news and you just think, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And then in the past week, there was a young man shot in, uh, in Ferguson and, and we've gone through a week of, man, just turmoil up there, right? I mean, if you guys have caught the news at all, I mean, there's rioting, there's protesting, there's you know buildings set on fire uh, and, and more and more people being shot as well. It's a pretty tumultuous time. And then, you know, you see the news like Robin Williams, a, you know, kind of a beloved star. You know, most people like at least one of his pieces of work, if not many of them. Uh, my kid's favorite was Hook, you know, growing up years. Hook came out, and they would, you know, just watch it over and over and over again. I'd say, great, I can sleep to any movie. It doesn't really matter. So they would turn it on, and, and we'd watch it. And it was a, it was a great movie. And, and so you see those things, and you realize that there's, like, global tragedy. There's more localized stuff, and then there's, like, personal stuff. The reality of all that is it affects individual lives, doesn't it? It affects and impacts you. It impacts me. It impacts the people who are, are near and dear to those who, who have uh, maybe been killed or taken their own life uh, like Robin Williams did. And so we don't look at those things. I mean, we can. We can look at them with really kind of harsh judgments or whatever. But the reality is we all struggle with uh, areas in our own lives where there's anxiety, where there's turmoil, I mean, I think these things, what they reflect for me, is not just that, hey, there's worldwide global problems, but actually, within the human heart, there's a whole lot of turmoil, there's a whole lot of disrest, there's a whole lot of not, you know, I can say that, there's not very much peace in people's hearts, a whole lot of not peace, that's almost what I said, that makes sense, um, And so we're just aware of of the realities of what's going on actually within each and every one of our hearts. That we're actually all going through times where there's unrest within us. And maybe these external things, they seem to put more more turmoil into our lives. But the reality is, they're simply stirring up what is probably already there. Not many of us do well when it comes to peace. And so this passage... That uh, Dave read for us. Thank you, Dave, for doing that. It, it helps us to see uh, that really peace is something for the Christian. That is, I mean, it's not just hey guys, I'm you know there's there's something nice you can have here. It's it's actually it's a commanded thing. He says, "Do not be anxious about anything." It's like command. And man, I'm anxious about all kinds of things about my kids, about my relationship to my wife, about my work. Am I doing well enough? I mean, my heart gets stirred up with all kinds of struggle, with all kinds of strife. And uh, a few weeks ago, (laughs) Carissa was in town, my uh, second-born daughter. She's 22. And she was in town. We celebrated her birthday, and she just had a couple weeks off. So she hangs out at home there, which was great to have her. Well, the last night that she's there, we had planned a family dinner, and we're going to do a family fun night which is great and and so we get done with dinner and i think hey i've got a few minutes here i've got these uh i've got this water filter system in my basement so i think well i'm going to change out the filters on there so you have to unscrew these things and put the filters take the old ones out put the new ones in seal them back up and and hopefully it doesn't leak well so i get started working on that and i've got this little wrenchy thing and the little wrenchy thing keeps slipping and i keep cracking my knuckles and it doesn't i can't get them to loosen up uh Suddenly, this little bitty thing that it should take me 10 minutes to do is like taking me 20, 25, 30, 40, and I am getting angrier, and, and my kids are like hearing banging and all kinds of noises in the basement, and they're just Annette came to us she goes, "Hun, you 're freaking them out." I had lost all sense of peace in that moment. I was very, very frustrated. And the downside to it is we're supposed to be having this fun time and it's like increasing my level of stress because I'm trying to get this little thing done and now it's leaking. It wasn't leaking, now it is. And I can't get the water anyway, so you see how the picture goes. When, when Paul uses the word anxiety here, it's a word that it means this, it means to be divided, it means to be broken up. And, and what was hope, happening in my life at that moment is, okay, big picture, we're having a good time as a family, we're all together. Small picture, hey, there's this little thing, I just kind of want to take care of it, and then suddenly this broken piece that breaks out, it's like it becomes inflamed, it becomes bigger than than everything else in my life, right? There's all kinds of great and wonderful things happening in my life, but because now my heart's divided, it's all broken up, I find one irritating piece, and it's just like it becomes everything. And so for the next 90 minutes, my heart rate is up, I'm upset, and my family is saying, Hey, Dad, let's play games, you know? (laughs) That happens in our lives all the time. Anxiety is when... Our hearts are divided. They're broken up into little pieces. And we, we get one piece. And we just like like a dog with a bone, we just won't let it go. And it becomes this thing that's bigger than the whole picture. Paul says here, he says, hey guys, don't, don't be anxious. In other words, don't let your heart get all divided up. And don't get focused on things that actually, they're not the big picture. There's something bigger here. Well, peace as well is a bigger thing. It has to do with wholeness. It has to do, in in biblical terms, the the, the Old Testament word was shalom. It, It had to do with everything is right with the world. Everything is going to be okay. That's what shalom, that's what the peace of God he, he talks about. So there's there's characteristics here about the peace of God that I, I kind of want us to understand. We when we get to anxiety, we're not experiencing peace. We're not experiencing that sense of wholeness. We're experiencing something that's broken up, internally, divided. I mean and the, the way we go about doing, you know, trying to find peace is often kind of a messed up way. I mean, uh, I'll talk about this more in uh, detail in just a, a little bit. But, I mean, the, the kind of things that we are often pointed to when it comes to trying to find peace is it's all about techniques, right? Like you learn some breathing techniques. You learn to count to ten. You, you know, you, you, you square out some time and you go to the beach, and that'll, that'll help you regain peace again in your life, some sense of wholeness. But that's not necessarily true. The, the Bible tells us here that peace is not a technique, but it's a person. It's actually a person. Did you, did you catch that? It's like the Lord is near. It's a person, the Lord. He's near. Jesus says Himself, this is one of the passages this uh, last month that caught my attention in, in John 16.33. It says, I said these things to you that in me, in Jesus, in me, you may have shalom, peace, a sense of wholeness, things put back together, things put in the proper order. And in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation. We often get focused on that, right? The trouble, the tribulation. But he says, hey, take, take heart. I, I've overcome the world. I've taken that which is broken. I've, I've put it back into a whole. So it's not about learning a technique. It's about knowing a person. It, having peace in your life is about knowing a person. The, the Bible talks about peace in, in two ways. It says that we can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God. One of my favorite verses, uh, you'll hear me quote it a lot, Romans uh, 5.1 says, that we've been justified by faith in Christ and now we have peace with God. Peace with God. In other words, we had an enemy in God before. Did you realize that? He's been your enemy Actually, I try to say it better. It's you've been his enemy. You you have chosen, you and I, we've chosen to be enemies of God. Our sinfulness, our brokenness turned to rebellion against God. Now, God's a good enemy to have. I mean, there's good enemies and bad enemies. Did you know that? I mean, there's some enemies that, I mean, they're just wholesale out to destroy you, right? I mean, those are the kind of enemies. But but God's a good enemy to have because actually he is all out to, to redeem, to, to bless, to put things Back into order that were out of place. It's not. It's not unlike in my family or or maybe in your family where you have a child for a time who's kind of rebelling. They're kind of going against your rule. They're they're saying they're shaking their fist at you. I don't really want you to rule over me anymore. You know, and but you're a good so that you've become the enemy, right? We've experienced that in our family from time to time. Parents are the enemy. You don't know anything about my life. Teenagers love to say that. It's not true. We do know a few things. You'll find out in 10 years, okay? Um, But we become the enemy. Now, we're a good enemy to have because what do good parents continue to do? Well, they continue to put food on the table and give you a place to sleep and help you with your laundry and, and help train you so that you're prepared for the world. Pretty good enemies to have, right? So that's what I mean by a good enemy to have. Now, once we become followers of Jesus, we actually have some pretty tough enemies to deal with. We have our own flesh. There's stuff that we want to do that continues to want to go against God. We have the world around us, the system that, that says, hey, we can, you can find satisfaction in all kinds of things other than in God. And, and, and then you have Satan himself, who's the accuser. He comes against you. Now, he's a, a devastating enemy. He wants to discourage and frustrate you to cause you to not trust in God. So that's a bad enemy to have. But so here's the deal. When you become a Christian, you, you find that God's no longer an enemy but a, an ally. Okay? He's close to you. He draws you near. And now you have three new enemies who are pretty vicious, but you're sealed, you're protected by a big God. Look at the, the phrasing there. He says, hey, you have a, a peace that guards your hearts and minds. That's a military word. It's like you've got, you're like a city surrounded by an army. You can sleep well at night. Why? Well, because you've got an army. You've got God. He's right there. He's close to you. And so you have a great ally now in, in God because of Jesus. This piece that Paul talks about, the characteristics of it, it's like you've ever been to the ocean, right? And you see this like rock outcropping, and you see the big wave just come in and just smash into that rock. And you might think if you hadn't been there, well, you might think, Pfft. That rock's toast, right? I mean, it's going to just float out into the sea or be drawn out into the sea. And and the water, after it hits, it kind of recedes back and the rock stays. It stays steady. It it can handle the fact that waves hit it and roll off. Waves hit it and roll off. Paul says this is the kind of peace that God offers to us. We can have this rock-like security in God where waves hit us and they roll off. I mean, he's writing this from prison, okay, Wave has hit him, you're in jail, Paul. And he's like a rock. He just the wave hits, it goes away, he's still standing. He's been in turmoil, he's been in shipwrecks before, he's had the stuffings beat out of him before, you know? And I mean he's just he keeps staying there. And it's like, well, why? How how can you do this, Paul? How can you have everything else stripped away from you, but you seem to have this rock solid it just it doesn't seem to phase you that the life is falling apart all around you. You might think it's personality-based, right? I've known a few people like this, like their personality just seems like things hit them and they just kind of just like water off a duck's back, right? It just doesn't seem to phase them at all. Have you seen people like that? Maybe you are one of those people. But Paul doesn't say, hey, this is something that, you know, you're born with. He actually says a little a few verses down in verse 11, he says, hey, guys, this is something I've learned, This is something that I've learned. It's something that I've been able to grab a hold of in my life and actually learn that I have a rock-solid security in my life that brings me peace no matter what the circumstances are around me. And Christian, we can have that. We can know that kind of peace. It's it's not natural to Paul, and it's not natural to me, obviously. right? (laughs) It's not natural to me. It's not natural to you, maybe. But it's something that God says to us, hey, this is something you actually can learn. The kind of peace that God brings us is able to sustain us when the unthinkable happens. And this week we've had all kinds of unthinkable situations that have happened. I mean, I can't think of too many things that would be harder than losing a child, right? A few years ago, three, almost three years ago now, good friends of ours, Max and Karen in Fort Scott, they, they had a daughter who was uh, she had MD and she she just really suddenly passed away. I mean, they kind of knew that she was eventually, you know, like we all were, eventually going to die. But, I mean, it it happened suddenly. And you would think that, I mean, these guys, I mean, they've invested a lot of time in this child. They've had to take her to doctor appointments year after year and worked on her physical, you know, restoration and abilities, trying to make sure she can do things. And you'd think, man, this is going to just devastate them. And it was amazing. It was like they were in this protected place. They were able to ride out the storm, not because of what was naturally in them, but because they had learned something. They had learned to trust in God, and they had a solid rock God who was taking care of them in that moment. That's the kind of peace that you and I are said, hey, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but know this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So... So there's, there's, there's three things that I kind of want us to talk about here. Um, there, there's three big categories. I, I've just described the first one. It's basically that we know the character of peace. Uh, the, but, but now we're, we're going to learn actually um, the disciplines of peace. Because like there's things that, that we all, all have to learn about as we're trusting God. Well, how do we do that? What, how do we have access to this kind of peace, right? It's not technique, but it is something where we do have to learn some things here. And so there's three things that I want to talk about here, and then, and then the, the last one is going to be that there's actually a secret to peace. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute, but, but right now there's like these disciplines of peace, and the first one is, uh, I'm going to talk about three things within this category. So if you're a note taker, I just gave you my outline, okay? All right, so if you, you, you're a note taker, here's the big one here. It's knowing the character of peace, then it's the disciplines of peace, then it's the secret of peace. Now we're going to deal with within the disciplines of peace, what, what does that look like? What does it mean for us to access the peace of God, to have a hold of this in our stormy, tumultuous life? Well, three things. We're gonna, we have to learn to think, we have to learn to thank, and we have to learn to love. Think, thank, and love. Now, I couldn't come up, I know T's, you know, think, thank. I couldn't come up with a T-H for love. I should have asked my wife. She's the English teacher. I could have gotten that from her. I, I, yeah, okay, <laughs> good. It's not just me. All right. Um, so anyway, so we, we want to know how. Okay, how do we access this peace? Well, Paul here says, "Look, the, you, this is something that you actually have to." think. He says, "Think upon these things." It's not like you access it by not thinking. That's stupid peace. All right, I'll talk about that in a minute. But there's smart peace. It's actually something that you think about. It's actually something you have to engage your mind in, and and that's that's really. I mean, if you go to the bookstore, if you get online, if you start typing in, you know, how to relieve my anxiety or how to deal with anxiety, you are not going to find this category. Okay, here's how you relieve your anxiety. You think about big things, like where did you come from, what's your purpose, and where are you going, right? I mean, most of them say things like this. I'm going to sit my behind in the sand. I'm going to pop open a Corona or a margarita, and I'm just going to sit here and watch the waves come in and out. I'm going to bracket out some time in my life to just get away, and that will restore peace to my life, right? It's not thinking. It's the word amusement. Amusement. Why do they call them amusement parks? It means not thinking, okay? You go to amusement parks, you go to the beach because you don't want to think about it. And that's the way we're kind of dealt with. Here's the technique, guys: just don't think about it. Get yourself bracketed off where you're not thinking about life anymore, and this is the answer to your anxiety problem, right? Paul says, "No, that's dumb peace. That's stupid peace. You may get some relief for a while, but it's not. It's, it's your life will be like waves. I mean, like a beach. The sand just keeps washing out, and it's just stirring things up because you don't have genuine peace." you bracket bracketed out a few minutes of your life to kind of not think, but that's not ultimately going to bring you peace. Now, thinking about the hard things of life, I mean, it can, be, it can bring you turmoil. I mean, like, uh, I was thinking about evolution and, and Darwin. I mean, okay, I'm going to tag that just for a second, because if you start thinking along the lines of, hey, naturalistic thinking, it's like, well, the world is all we have. Uh, basically, we're, we're just, cre- you know, we're not created. We're just, like, we evolved out of something, then it's like, well, okay, so basically we can do whatever we want to. Darwin basically said a man without religious conviction can basically do whatever he wants to do. And, and a guy, Oliver Wendell Holmes, in the early 1900s, he actually bought into to Darwinism, and he was a Supreme Court judge, and he said, look, between the, <laughs> the, the difference between a man and a baboon is really non-existent. We're the same, okay? And, and if there's a rattlesnake, basically I can create my own reality. If there's a rattlesnake in my way, I'm going to kill it, just because he's interrupting the kind of life that I'm trying to create for myself. And so he he translates that onto every part of his life. It's like, so basically, you may feel like something is right or wrong for you, but basically for me, it's not, and so who are you to tell me what to do? And we see the result of that, if you start thinking along those lines, brings, man, anxiety. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no value. There's no reason at all. Paul says, hey guys, whatever things are honest, true, just. What he's saying in those phrases is, guys, there's doctrine. There are things about God, about He created us. He created us in a perfect environment, in a perfect world, in Eden, right? Where everything was right, we had harmonious relationship with God. We threw that down, stomped it on the ground and said, I don't want that. And we've been in rebellion against him, but God is continuing to restore and to redeem. He has a plan so that when you get to the end of the Bible, actually now you have people back in harmonious relationship with God again. See, those are the kind of things when you start thinking about them, you realize, okay, this life is short, but God is blessing. He cares for me. He's for me. He's with me. And when I start thinking those big picture kinds of thoughts, man, it brings such peace. This morning, is we're, did you guys read, what we're, did you think about what we were singing this morning? Oh, the mercies of our God. I mean, there's just a, the merciful God. He's a good God who loves us and cares for us, and He's pursuing us day in and day out. One preacher called Him, He's the hound of heaven. He just keeps going after me. He won't let me go in a positive, loving way. He just doesn't give up on us. I think that should bring us a lot of peace, to know the God who created it all, though it's turmoil now in this life. I know this. There is a destiny here in God. There is a destiny where there is peace, where there is no more rioting. There's no more destruction. There's life and life forevermore in Him. These are the big kinds of things that we should preach to ourselves day in and day out. John Piper says this. He says, Hey guys, are, are you listening Are you listening to yourself, or are you speaking to yourself? Now, see, when I got up this morning, I was listening to myself, and my body was saying, ow! Uh, for some reason, my head, my back, my every joint in my body was just, like, screaming at me. And I, don't, I didn't get drunk last night. I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's, it's an odd thing on a Saturday night. No, I was teasing. And so, no, I got up, and I, I just wasn't feeling well, and so I'm beginning to, like emotionally I'm dropping here because my physical body just doesn't feel well. And so I started listening to that, but then I thought, wait a minute. I'm, so I pull out my scriptures and I'm starting to read and then I'm hearing the voice of God just reminding me, I'm preaching to myself. No, wait a minute. There's a God. My, I may go through pain. I may go through trouble. But here's the thing. God loves me. He's for me. He's with me. You have to preach to yourself. Piper says it this He says, look, no one is more influential than in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. <laughs> I just love that quote. No one's more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. I mean, i got thoughts going through my head all the time. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good. Some of them I'm spinning myself out. Sometimes I'm building myself up. So I have to be aware, hey, preach the gospel to myself. Here's what King David did in the Old Testament, Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 11. He asks this question to himself. Hey, Soul, why are you so downcast? And why are you in turmoil? And then he gives a response. He preaches to himself, Hope in God. Again, I will praise Him. He's my salvation. And personal, He's my God. See, there's something about preaching to yourself. The truth. This is not just like whistling in the dark, fanciful thought. No, no, no. This is rock-solid truth. We think about it. We put our minds, and we preach these truths to ourselves. When you consider what God has done to show His love for us, to restore us the way we're meant to be, man, this is just amazing grace that we have received. And we need to let our thoughts go there often. We need to be around others. I mean, one of the things about community group is to be around others who can do the same thing for us, to help us remember. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He goes, hey, day by day, guys, encourage one another with the truth. See, it's necessary that we do life together just for that reason. All right, so that's thinking. The next thing is thanking. Verse 6 says that we're to ask God for things, and then we're to thank Him. Now, usually when we think, of, you know, think about it, when we, when we kind of get there, we, we say, okay, well, I'm going to ask things of people, and then when I get it, right, then I'll say thank you. Isn't that the way it works, right? You say, hey, can I have your car? And they say, yes, here you go, here's the keys. Then you say, thank you, Right? Well, that's not the way it is here. Paul doesn't say when you get the keys to the car, give thanks. He says as soon as you ask, just say thanks. Now, you have to think about why. Are you just like, manipulating God? You know, what are you trying to do here when you give thanks? No, what you're trying to do here, there is exhibit faith, trust in God. Oftentimes, the th- God has an amazing translator. Okay? like I ask for things. like There's something in my heart that I'm wanting from God. I don't really know all that it is. I think I do. Like I define it. Okay, I want, um, I don't know what I want. Um, That's the car thing. Okay, I I want a new car, God. I need transportation. Now, there's something longing in my heart. Maybe it's because I, you know, my car looks like junk and I'm I'm embarrassed by it and there's a pride issue there. I don't know what it is, you know. But maybe there's something going on. But there's a longing in my heart that I'm needing something. But I'm asking because I think this is it. I try to define for God, here's what will bring me genuine happiness. You do that? You ask God for things because you say, hey, God, I know what's best for me. See, the reason I can give thanks to God, I can say, hey, God, I would really love to have a new car. Thank you for what you're going to give me. Then I'm putting the ball in his, I'm saying, I know you're going to provide for me. Tim Keller, uh, a famous author and preacher, he he said, he had this story. He said uh, about his, uh, he was a young man and he was dating this girl and he was just convinced that this was the girl he was supposed to marry. And he's praying, okay, God, do, do, do not let her break up with me. <laughs> okay, because the relationship wasn't good. And he, she left town. She went to a resort to work. And so he, he left town, went to that same resort, and got a job trying to help God out, you know, trying to stay close to this girl. Well, she broke up with him. And, he, and he's telling the story in front, and his wife's sitting down here, and, and he looks down. And he goes, no, this girl down here, she's grinning at me because the girl that I was pursuing was not the girl who I'm married to now. And he said, man, God knew exactly what I needed. I was asking for this one, but God, she said, no, 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 here's what you need. I'll provide for you. See, there's there's this thing in us. We we want to control what we're asking. We're wanting to control how it is God's going to take care of us. And God just says, hey, would would you trust trust me? Would you trust me? Isaiah uh, 26, here's another one that just, these last few weeks, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says this, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because He trusts in you. See, when you ask God for things, and, and you don't get the specific thing that you asked for, here's, and you get upset with God, here's the reason why. You weren't trusting God. You were trusting in something else. You're trusting yourself. You're trusting in that thing to provide you with happiness or success or whatever it was. That See, the man who trusts in Him has peace. Why? Well, because he's trusting in God. And God's the source of His love and the source of His peace. And then he he goes on to say to us, he kind of preaches to us, he says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. He's solid. You can trust Him. He's consistent. He's not going to change. So I don't always know what's best for me, but God does. I mean, think about Romans 8.28. You guys know what that says? It says, uh, we know this, that God works all things together for The good of those who love Him or call according to... Well, first of all, He starts off, do you know this? All right? So it's something we know. It's a knowing thing. Hey, I know this. God is taking care of me. He's going to do everything in His power to help me uh, with His grace. He's going to give to me what I need, and then He's going to do it for His glory. Now, we live in a world where that doesn't... It's like all things together for good. I mean, the trouble that comes into my life? Yeah, even the trouble that comes into your life is for your good, and for God's glory. I mean, just imagine the guys, you know, John and Paul, Peter, and and uh, and the disciples, of Andrew, those guys, they're standing there, they're looking at the cross, and they're going, What possible good could come out of this? The innocent son of God just slain on the just slaughtered on the cross, walking home, going, What possible good could come out of this? They would have just missed the best good that could possibly happen for humanity. Jesus dying for them and for us. See, we we get all tangled up thinking, well, bad things happen to me, therefore I'm being punished by God. No, 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 you're not being punished by God. Jesus was punished by God for you. You may go through hard things, but it's not God punishing you. He punished His Son on your behalf. This is a reason for us to give thanks to God. It's what we've been singing about for the last 20 or 30 minutes is glorifying this fact. Jesus took my punishment for me. Loving. So we think deep, big thoughts. We give thanks to God. We also, but we learn to love the gospel. We learn to love Jesus himself. It says here that the peace of God guards not just our hearts and our minds, or excuse me, not just our minds rather, but our hearts. And the word here is the cardia. And I found a from one of the commentaries, I was doing a little Bible study on it. It says, one of the commentaries says this about your heart. What is your heart? Is it this little, you know, three to four pounds of flesh beating inside your chest here? Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he says, here's what it is. It's, it's the desire producer that makes us tick. That's a definition of your heart. It's the desire producer that makes you tick. What is it that makes you tick? What is it that causes you to have come alive and have, we we'll see... We can have all kinds of things there, can't we? Our heart, another pastor or preacher says, our hearts are an idol factory, right? We can produce all kinds of things that we can give our affections to. This has to do with our affections, our attractions. What is it we're attracted to? Paul's day when he's writing, there's a lot of philosophers there. He, he's in Greece, okay? Actually, he's in Macedonia, but it's real, it's next door neighbors to Greece. And so there's lots of uh, philosophers there. And You know, philosophy, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's going to bring peace to my life? What's, you know, going to fix my life? And there was this one group called the Stoics, and basically the Stoics had this mentality. They're like, hey guys, don't trust, don't put your hope in anything else. Don't give your affections to anything else except for your own character, you, you know, family will fall apart. You know, you'll have kids rebelling. You'll have a spouse who wants to leave. But got, you can put your confidence in the unchangeableness of your own character. Ha! Right. Okay. Sorry, philosophers. Um, that's just not quite true. Let me give you an example. I get to tell a story about my wife. Isn't this fun? I get to confess her faults before you. I got permission first. I'm not a fool. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Uh, when she was young when we were first married she had like three well actually before we were married she had three promises that she had made to herself things I mean her her devout character that she thought this will not happen in my life the first one was uh, that she would not uh, teach in a Christian school and I thought well that's a strange thing right you know but she just didn't like the idea of doing that and so first job right out of college guess what Teaches at a Christian school. Next big promise that she has is that she doesn't want to have babies in December and May. And you think, what? <laughs> I know. Well, December's Christmas time, and there's this busyness, and having a baby and having a kid having to have a birthday at that time of the year would just be awful. And, and in May, there's graduations and weddings and all these things. Sarah's born December 23rd, Ezra is born May 28th. Well, the big one was this. She said, I will never be married to a preacher. (laughs) Now, to be fair to her, when we were dating, I was going to be a physical education teacher, okay, and a coach. But God had other plans, and he showed her, look, it's not about your character. It's about my good intentions, my will for your life, (laughs) It's a good thing she didn't put a lot of hope in these promises that she had made to herself because God was willing to say, look, that's not going to happen. You and I, we can make promises to ourselves all the time. I've done it tons of times. Hey, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. Well, at least I'll never lie about this. At least I'll never look at this. And you know what? Most of those things, I'm depending on the, the integrity of my own character to carry me through. And... I'm putting my affections there. It's in my ability to do what's right. See, our culture still uses this. It's like, I've heard this phrase, it's like, no matter what happens to you, you can't control what happens to you. All you can control is your response. Really. You're going to always have the right response to that situation. You're going to trust. You're going to put all your supreme affections on this. You can always control what you do. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he argues with this. He, he says uh, about our affections. There um, we go. Because we can put our affections in things like character. He says, look, you need to put your affections in something that's unchangeable and unchanging. I love this quote. He says about God. He says, thou hast... He uses, Actually, he was Greek, but they put it in King James type English here. So here we go. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I'll, put it, I'll translate that into American. <laughs> You've made us for yourself, God, and our heart is in turmoil until it finds rest in you. That's that's what, hey, you put your affections in anything else besides God, the one who is unchangeable and unchanging, and you're gonna find your life is a turmoil, a turmoil and a mess. Here's Isaiah says this, Isaiah 5720. He says, the wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. Now, this is not one of those patches like God's going to smite the wicked. Okay? It's dealing with the consequences of life. He's he's dealing with those who are idolaters. They're trusting in other things besides God. He says, look, guys, when you do that, when you're trusting anything else, putting your supreme affections in anything else besides God, here's what your life looks like. It's like tossing waves, kicking up dirt and mess all the time. It is the consequence of not having supreme love for a supreme God. Right? Why are our lives in such internal turmoil? It's because we're not... Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not being able to see G. And what he, we're going to say here, because this is what the Bible is pointing us to, is look, you put your supreme love in Jesus. You find Him altogether lovely. The, the One of the last phrases Paul writes there, says, uh, he says, the, everything that's lovely, you set your attention there. Now, I find all kinds of things lovely in this world. My wife is one of those people that i find extremely lovely and i but i can make her where she's my supreme loveliness where she's the one who has that but that would be terrible she can't be god to me that's not it's not possible it's not fair to her it's not fair to me when i put my supreme affections on god however i can love her and find her very lovely and very attractive because i have things in right proportion I love God, and now I can really love my wife without expecting her to be like God to me. You see? This brings peace to our life. When your life is not built on God, then your life is built on sand, and it's just like dirt being tossed about in the sea. Nothing grounding you. Jesus should be our all-lovely. 2 Corinthians 5, I quote this one a lot, but 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might be the righteousness of Christ in God. The reason we sing for long periods of time on Sunday mornings, I mean, take a long time, is because what we are seeing is Jesus is altogether lovely. And this verse tells us why. That Jesus became sin for us. That doesn't mean that He sinned. It means that God poured out His wrath, His anger, on Jesus on our behalf Jesus took the consequence of our sin so that we could have peace with God He got our punishment we get his peace Now if Jesus if you see him going to the cross you know peaceful and at rest just steadfastly going to the cross You've misunderstood and need to reread some things. Hebrews chapter 5 says that when he was at uh, uh, when he was praying for us it says that he was with loud uh, how does it say with with loud cries and tears. That doesn't sound like a peaceful person. When he's on the cross Most people who were hanged on a cross, when you read the historical accounts, they basically faint, they pass out because of the pain and the exertion that's happened there. Jesus, it says, just before he died, he has this loud cry of agony, of dereliction, where he's just like overwhelmed with grief. doesn't sound like Jesus had much peace. He didn't. All his peace was gone at that moment in time. The rock solid confidence that he had in the Father, the trust that he had in him, Father, God turned his face from him. All his peace was gone. So that you and I might never experience having that kind of, having the Father's face turned away from us. See, Jesus went through no peace. He went through anxiety of the worst kind so that you and I could have peace with God forever and know the peace of God. Never, ever having that experience of judgment against us. Doesn't that make Jesus lovely in your eyes? Doesn't that cause you to have such admiration and love for Jesus? That's the response our heart should have here, to find Him altogether lovely. When we've done that, we find peace. There's a a real practical example I'm going to read to you, an old hymn. You you like hymns? Uh, I hope so. You should like this one. The guy's name is Horatio Spafford. Maybe you've heard of this guy before. He was in the 1800s uh, when he was born. It was in the 1900s. He was an adult. He had uh, some children. Actually, his first child uh, died under a, 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 an epidemic. They, he, went, he was a businessman, pretty successful, and his business, his house, was actually burned in the Chicago fire in the early 1900s. He recovers from that. A couple of years later, he, uh, he's wanting to take a vacation, sends his wife and four little daughters. They're just little tykes. Uh, across the sea there this is back when they had sailing ships and so they sailed across they're going to england to spend some vacation time he's wrapping up some uh, business before he takes off but he sends them on ahead to get things ready and in the middle of the ocean their ship it's a calm sea nothing's going on their ship in the middle of the night no warning whatsoever gets hit by another ship breaks the ship completely in half he loses his four little girls and his wife survives. She survives. She gets rescued and, is, and makes it back to England. When she gets there, she sends just a, a two-word uh, telegraph to him. For those of you who don't know what a telegraph is, it's like texting back in the 1900s. <laughs> um, two words. Saved alone. A few weeks later, Spafford is able to get on a ship and, and head to England. And as he crosses past this, this is historical record, he crosses... Uh, past the site where his daughters, his four little girls, had been killed. He writes the words to this song. When peace, like a river, attends my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, in other words, when life is just a turmoil, turmoil around me, whatever it is, whatever my lot, God, you've taught me to say it's well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet and trials should come, let... This again, this is old English stuff, but let this blessed assurance control. In other words, I've got a rock steady assurance in Christ that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and He shed His own blood for my soul. Here's this guy in turmoil, but where he's thinking, isn't he? He's thinking, okay, everything around me is like destroyed; that everything I care for has been ripped away from me. But I have this strong assurance in Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me. My sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, not just a little bit of it, not just a whole lot of it, but the whole thing is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. See, he's giving thanks. He's thinking, and now he's saying, praise God for this great salvation. For me, be it Christ, let Christ hence to live. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, Christ is my life. He's my supreme love now in all of my life. Let the Jordan roll over. In other words, it it was a sign of uh, death to go through the Jordan Is an old language usage to say, hey, I'm going through death here. He says, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in, in death as in life you whisper your peace to my soul. And he just goes on and on. And he finally he ends with, Lord, haste the day. Hurry up. When my faith becomes sight. And clouds are rolled back. And Trump, And in other words, I can't wait to see you, Jesus. I just can't wait. He, this is the evidence of a life that's learned to access the peace of God. This is the secret to having God's peace. Thinking, thanking, loving Jesus with everything you have. Knowing that He is your supreme confidence and your supreme love this brings you such peace the community around us the world around us your neighbors your friends your coworkers they need to know that in this world there is a people who experience supreme peace that comes even in the roughest storms of life they need to see a community that knows the peace of god like no other That means we, yeah, it's important how we handle the hard things that come to us. To think, to thank, to love, to know, hey, there's a supreme Jesus who, who, man, I just want to love him. I want to give my all to him. He's the one who cares for me. And in fact, he's my source of peace. Our neighbors should ask the question, I know you're going through this hard time. How is it that you're able to do this? I don't understand. You should be a puddle of a mess right now. And instead of saying, well, you know, I just have this thing. No, you you have Jesus. And you say, Jesus is my solid rock. He's my foundation for life. He's the guard about my soul who protects me through all the storms of life.